0: pull out early because of, uh, because of wildfires. But of course, my wife and I um, talked after I got back. and She says, a month is a long time to be gone. In fact, if I have to feed your cows for a month, I'm going to start shooting your cows. So, <laughs> so I thought, well, you, maybe I need to cut it down a little bit next year and not go quite a month hiking. So I'm going to probably break up the southern section into two years and uh, do about 300 miles on each of those southern sections. And then northern California, I'll do that in two years. So I have four years left uh, to complete this trail, and you say, "Well, why do I do it?" Because it is an amazing experience. It has um, a massive amount of impact on me. Um, I, I like solitude. I like mountains, and I like the God who created that mountain, and it just seems like he just meets with you um, in solitude or meets with me um, in solitude. So let me tell a little bit of stories of what took place during that hike, And, and uh, I just have to start with this one story of the people um, that you meet. Now, I got a permit, and the permits are really hard to get, um, but I find not the reason why I got a permit, is because I started in the desert, and nobody starts in the desert in the month of August. So I was the only one hiking, never saw a hiker for the first 200 miles um, of my hike. I was the only one out there, and now I know why I'm the only one out there, because it was not good, and I'll have other stories and different sermons on what that desert was like, But when I started getting the Sierra Nevadas, um, close to Whitney, I got into Whitney. Mount Whitney is the highest mountain in the continental United States. So it's a very popular place where a lot of people go. And then you have the John Muir Trail and the Sierra Nevadas and Yosemite and those areas. So you see a lot of hikers that are running the John Muir Trail. And I'm running the PCT, which is similar to the John Muir and and even stands on the John Muir quite a bit or hikes in the John Muir quite a bit. Um, So I see all the John Muir um, hikers. And and I walked up to the base of... uh, um, Yosemite and I was hiking all day so I came in more in the evening and when I came in the evening I was looking at, um, at my app um, in regards to um, what trails I could hike with the permit that I have and how I can climb up um, Mount Whitney and I kind of had a question I looked over and I saw somebody else that was camping it was this couple it was this guy and girl young guy and girl and they're really cute looking they're sitting out looking at the lake and and I said oh, I'll go ask them see what they they know. And so I went over there and I started, um, I asked them and they said, yeah, we're not exactly sure, but we think you probably could and, and those things. And, and then they started to drill me with questions. Questions about hiking. He says, what do you eat? I says, nothing tastes good around this place. How heavy is your backpack? How many miles are you going today? You know, this is how many miles we're going. You're going this many miles? And then we started to weigh. She said, how do you hike this couple says, well, how do you hike through um, all the pain? And, you know, I had to answer these questions. I said, you know, uh, the way that you hike through all the pain is, you know, hiking's kind of like childbirth, you know. It's, it's really, really hard, but then um, after it's all done, all you do is remember the happy moments that took place and forget about all the pain, you know, when, when you're all done. And then you had, did you have birth? No, I didn't have birth. You know, she kept, they kept on nailing me with questions. And uh, as they continued to nail me with questions about hiking, what do you eat? I said the tuna fish. Well, what do you put on your tuna fish? Because tuna fish sounds really gross. Well, you know you can make a tuna fish sandwich if you have the little mayonnaise packets and you put the mayonnaise on the packet and you put it a, tor- uh, a tortilla and it, it tastes really good. And she said, Well, that doesn't sound like it tastes good. And and then they started asking questions in different areas. We see you have a ring on. You married? See, yeah, I'm married. How long have you been married? I said 20 years. Well, where's your wife? I said, Do you mind if I just sit down for a little bit? And. <laughs> because my feet were sore. <laughs> so, so, so I, I sat down, and, and then the questions just continued to come. And as the questions came, they said, what do you do as a career? And I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor. They said, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they said, well, we love Jesus too. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the questions really came. <laughs> and, and, and the questions came for 45 minutes. And I will tell you, they were tough questions. Remember, I'm on vacation, you know. <laughs> they, 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 they were tough questions. I could not believe how sharp this couple was named Sam and Tess. And we can show a picture of Sam and, and Tess that, um, that are on the screen. I cannot believe how sharp these questions were. And they're asking these questions because they wanted to know. They wanted to know the answer and know what I thought. Now I looked at him and said, you know, I'm just a heck in the woods. It doesn't matter what I think. It's no, we want to know what you think about God. And then they asked me this one in particular question that I'm going to really focus on today. Because after they asked me the question, you know, when you hike, your mind just goes all day long. After they asked me the question, I started thinking about that question over and over and over and said, well, does my church know that question? Does everybody know this question? Does everybody know the answer to this question? And after I answer, I'm like, did I say the answer right to this question? Because they were very pointed, and this is their question. What is the largest misconception in the church today? It's a tough question. (laughs) What is the largest misconception? What does that mean? Misconception means a view or an opinion that is incorrect. Where is the church missing their mark in the world today? Where is the church gone aside because they don't understand this one concept. And there's lots of them, but they weren't going to accept lots of them. They wanted to know exactly what is the most prominent mark that the church is missing today, the most prominent misconception that the church has today. So here's the answer that I gave. And number one, I said, we don't understand the love of God. I said, we don't understand the love of God. It's like, what do you mean you don't understand the love of God? And uh, I said, the love of God saves you, sends you, makes you, moves you, sanctifies you, heals you, carries you, motivates you, drives you, completes you, heals you, bends you. The love of God carries everything inside of a Christian and of a person that makes them look like they're born again. That makes them look like they have been completely and entirely born again. And the concept of understanding the love of God, and when we understand it to the extent that we, God wants us to understand it, it starts to move us, make us, build us, drive us, and send us. You know it doesn't happen overnight, but the love of God is something that the Christian hangs on to for the rest of his life. It is something that he thinks about for the rest of his life. It's something that they, we meditate on for the rest of our life. It's something that we grow in for the rest of our life. It's something that we hold close. It's something we hold dear. Why? Because it is the tip of the sword to Christianity. Now, the entire Bible focuses on it and displays it and shouts it, you know, with a microphone. This is the love of God. Open our eyes and look at it. Read the Bible and feast on it. Try to understand it. Try to understand the concept of it. This is what I want into every Christian's system. It says it all over the place, but I just want to pick one verse and work through the verse, and I just want you to know I didn't give them this verse when I talked about it. We just answered the question, and then we just kept on going with more. Um, but I want to go through this verse, just break it down of the power of the love of God that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 21. Let's read the verse. Let's break it down because Paul wants to get this point across. It says this, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we know Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I just want to go through this answer And as we went through this answer, I want to go through the verse. Number two, understanding the love of God breaks us, molds us, mends us, and changes us. We are not using PowerPoint because my message did not come across on Tuesday before I went rafting. So we go, oh, we better just give them the notes instead. So if you don't have notes, raise your hand. We'll get the notes to you. We're just using our notes this morning. Since I just went on a hike, I definitely want to talk about it, and I even want to show you some pictures. So we're going to show you some pictures just to let you know. Uh, here's a picture um, on the screen, and it's a picture just a mountain. And I'll tell you that God, for some reason, just paints beautiful pictures behind a mountain. And the sky that comes over the mountain, I will tell you, is sharp, beautiful, and for me, is completely and entirely moving, even as pictures do not do it justice. We'll go to the next slide. Again, the mountains are big, the sky is beautiful, and he gives us a little forefront in the front of it. It's not a dead tree, it's still absolutely gorgeous, and then the other trees that are there. Also, another one. The sun rises and the sun sets are absolutely gorgeous. We'll go to another picture. This is in the Sierra Nevada. It's extremely high, 13,000 feet, 12,000 feet. It all depends if you're going up or at the tip or if you're going down, because that's all it was, was up, tip, down, up, tip, down. There is no flat ground, and there's no ground that seems like they don't have rocks, as you can see the trail there. So we'll go to the next slide. Also, God has decided to um, paint pictures up there in the mountains. I don't know if you knew that. But every time you go up to a pass, there's a whole bunch of lakes before you go up to the very tip. And then you go down the other side, and there's a whole bunch of other lakes. Now, if you're there in the morning, what God likes to do is he likes to give you a beautiful reflection. Oh, here's a reflection that takes place here. Another one, just a reflection that just is absolutely gorgeous and again moving to me. And then we'll go to another one as we walk through the Sierra Nevadas. Here's one, I just got a drink of water from a lake. As I got a drink of water, I looked up and said, oh my goodness, thank you God for that little gift that you just decided to give me. So then we'll continue on. Um, Coming down, this is coming down from a pass and and some of the lakes are reflective, but some of the lakes are just a rich, deep blue that takes place and absolutely gorgeous. I would tell you if anybody does not believe that there's a crater, I don't know who put this together, but somebody had a sharp mind that did. So I believe it's God, and I believe it's beautiful because of Him. We'll go on to the next picture. Uh, again, just the high peaks, the high mountains, the lots of rocks. Yes, I felt every single one on my ankle, but He gave me these lakes to ease that pain. Next one. When I was up in the mountains, almost every night, there's lots of thunder. And this is actually the thunder is just roaring through the mountains. And as the thunder roars through the mountains, um, the sun still shines in different areas. It's just kind of at the top. And when the thunder roars through the mountains, it bounces off the rock. It's like the best sound you can possibly ever hear. And this was actually a storm, believe it or not, of lots and lots of thunder. But also the light was shining through. Of course, I had to take a picture of it. This is in the morning. Sunrises and sunsets, again, are an absolute blessing on a hike. And then the next one. Um, this is going up uh, Mount Whitney, climbing up Mount Whitney. You notice that it's just the sun has barely risen. I um, often start in the dark and have a little headlamp, and then I get to watch the sun completely come up, and that is what has taken place here before I had a long, long climb to the top of Mount Whitney. And the next one, also God likes to paint layers for some reason. You know, you've got a whole bunch of layers as you're looking across, landscapes. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous as you're looking at it. And then the next one, uh, the mountain peaks are extremely high. I was completely, entirely fascinated by them, and, and I was really fascinated by this picture. It didn't turn out as, as sharp as I wanted it to turn out, but you look at the mountain peak that's back there, and then you look at another mountain peak that is back there, but you don't see the third peak that is back there because the sun hasn't hit it. And what the sun was doing on this hike as I was walking down this pass is, is playing dominoes with the mountains. In other words, one peak would light up, the other one would go dark, the other one would light up, the other one would go dark, and it was just wherever the sun hit would give me a revelation of something big in the, in the back of it. So another just moving experience. And then again, high peaks, lots of lakes, lots of fun. Those mountains carried a power, and the power for me as I was walking um, sunk very, very deep. What I mean by sunk very deep in my soul is it is it moved me, it affected me, and literally had power over me. In other words, my emotions were going. This is absolutely crazy. This is absolutely beautiful. But it's interested in the concept of noticing the beauty and noticing the mountains and noticing what was out there. That I wasn't fascinated by the mountains as much as I was fascinated by the creator that would have anything to do with me as I sat in the midst of these majestic mountains. <laughs> because I felt weak. Who am I in regards to anybody on this planet? A broken down hiker. Yes, yeah, sitting in the, 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 the scenery and sitting in the, the mountains, sitting on the caps that God created. But yeah, God looks at me. God knows me. In fact, he doesn't even know me. He loves me. And he even loves me enough to send his son to die and to rise again so I could have salvation. Charles Spurgeon said this I do not read anywhere that God delighted in the cloud capped mountains or the sparkling stars, but I do read that he delights in the sons of men. I do not find it written that even angels give the soul delight. Nor does he say, concerning the cherubim and the seraphim, I have been a father unto them, and you shall be my sons and daughters. But he says that to the poor, fallen race of man, debased, deprived, rejected by sin, yet saved, exalted, glorified by his grace, I delight in you. I can't see how anybody could hike and not believe or even be moved by only a mountain when you can worship and be moved by the creator that created the mountain. Paul makes mention of this love that he's given to the human being in the passage. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are sound-minded, it is for you. For the love of Christ Controls us. For if we are beside us, what does beside mean? Beside means in the Greek, it means displaced, it means amazed, it means astonished. It means thrown into wonder. It means that I just sit there and I cry like a baby because I look at the mountains. And I can't believe that the God who made those actually has anything to do with me or even loves me or loves me this much that he would send his son to die for me. And you just sit there when you hike. and You're just displaced. You're amazed. You're absolutely astonished. And according to this passage, Paul is saying it has impact on you. For if we are just dumbfounded, beside ourselves, astonished, into wonder, this is for God, we'll just call that worship. And God sits there and feasts on it. But, if we are sound mind, it is what? For you. What does that mean? It means that I've been hiking for a month, and I've been sitting there looking at the mountains, and and, uh, tearing up, and choking up, and and loving God in the process. But then I have to walk up here with a sound mind and say, okay, now just let me tell you about the love of God but we feel it before we say it. He wants us to feel it before we say it. He wants us to be literally beside herself, besides ourselves, before we even say it. He wants you to experience it deep inside the soul before you even say it. Remember what we are called. We are called the light of the world. What is the light of the world? How does it shine bright? It shines bright when it knows it has something. And when it soon realizes and understand that it has something that is when the light shines doesn't shine with our real formal words or shine with our smooth talk or shine with a gospel that can come across extremely educated it shines when it this gospel has impacted our heart and say i know who i am loved by god and you can be loved too this is paul's reaction as he's writing this passage of Scripture. Number three, understanding the love of God moves us, uses us, sends us, rules us, motivates us, and drives us. We can ask a simple question, why do you do what you do? Let's make it more specific. Why do you serve when you serve the church? Or why do you give when you give to the church? Why do you sacrifice when you sacrifice? Why do you present the gospel when you present the gospel? Why do you love when you love? What is the motivation that is driving you? What is the motivation that is sending you? Well, there's lots of them, but there's only one right one. There's lots of them, but there's only one right one. And what is the one right one? I understand that I've been loved, and I don't deserve it. And since I understand that I've been loved and I don't deserve it, I will sacrifice, I will give, I will serve, I will run. Why? Because I've been loved and the rest of the world can be loved that is around me. Therefore, I won't stop. It is what drives me because it is the only thing that carries enough power to drive a human being. I mean, think about the concept of love. If you're looking at the most powerful thing in the world, what is the most powerful thing in the world? It is love. We watch movies all the time. I'm going to die for my love. I'm going to sacrifice for my love. And what do we do with our time? I'm going to give for my love. I'm going to send my time. I'm going to put my money. I'm going to put my energy. I'm going to put my effort. Everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do it for my love. Where do we get that concept? We get that concept because it's a biblical concept that God says, this is the way you're designed for this a specific point. Make me your first love. And take all your energies and all your passions and all your missions, because if you can understand it, you will never be the same again. And the extent that you understand it will change you for the purpose of never being the same again. if we can just work on our understanding of how much God loves us, what's going to happen? We will be moved, used, sent, ruled, motivated, changed, and driven. 2 Corinthians 5.13, for the love of Christ controls us. That's the phrase that is driving this verse. It controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they... Who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf, if we open our eyes to what has taken place with the God and what God has given us, we will be what sold out. We'll be hot. It is the source that makes us on fire. It is the source that sends us. for he died for us. Oh my goodness, I'm not going to live any longer for myself because I've recognized this love, I've seen it, and it is doing something specifically to me. Number four, understanding the love of God heals us, restores us, washes us, strengthens us, stabilizes us, and saves us. What is our greatest master? And uh, I think we have four different masters, four masters that are out there, And I would not say Satan is one of our masters, I'd say Satan is driving our masters, but I'd say there's four different masters that you get to choose from. Uh, You can choose from your past, your past is your master. You can choose from your present, your present is your master. Or you can choose from the future, your future is your master. Or you can choose God, God is your master. Now think about this, how many of us are ruled by our past? How many ruled by a father who was a drunk, or an abusive father, or an absent father, or abusive mother, or even past sins that you recognize and they they hang on to us and and you can't get rid of them because they haunt us and they change our behaviors, they change our attitudes, they change our marriage, they change everything about us because the past you have not ever let go of and it rules you. Some are ruled by the present I'm going to live life to the fullest, and if I want it, I'm going to take it, whether it's wrong or right. Whatever it is, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to feed myself. Some people are ruled by the future. I'm putting all my money away, and one day I'm going to be retired, and when I retire, I'm going to live it up. Therefore, I'm going to make sure that I secure myself right now for this future. Those are the three things that are ruling us, and the Satan gets behind it, and when Satan gets behind us, he says, oh, yeah, look at yourself. Look what you're at. Look what we have. Look what you could have. Oh, look what you did. Oh, you, That's the way he runs us. God said none of those things should rule you. The only thing that should rule you is the love of God. <laughs> because the love of God trumps your past, it makes your present, and it gives you hope for your future. The love of God provides everything that makes a depressed person not depressed if they can grab a hold of it to the extent that they can hold on to it. That makes an angry person not angry. This is not my world. Oh my goodness, I'm loved by this God, and he's lifted me beyond this world. Then if the whole world falls apart, that love is not going to fall apart, and you can hang on to it. Anxious people, fearful people. You know what happens if we rule by our past, we rule by our present, we rule by our future? Everything happens to our emotions. Everything happens to emotions. But when you are loved by this rock-solid love that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, God's saying, oh, you're getting in the right spot. Feed on it. Meditate on it. Embrace it. Study it. Read the Bible. Get to know it more because this is the tip of the sword. This is the tip of the sword. 2 Corinthians 5, 13. For the love of Christ controls us. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. It changes us. It changes our whole view of people. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new person. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Your past is completely gone under the love of Christ. Your sins are completely washed away. If you had an absent father, you now have a perfect father who is, who is God. If you were in need back then and you were not provided for back then and you were hurt back then, you have a God that says, I will make you a completely, entirely new person where your past are gone, washed, so you can be whole and strong underneath this umbrella of love that God has. For you. Salvation comes with power. Comes with power. It is meant to come with power. John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible and uh, there's good reason for it. And the reason why is because it comes with probably the biggest punch and the most power in the entire Bible in this fast passage. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's just break it down what the author is communicating and what Jesus said, it, what he wanted to communicate. He said, For God so loved the world. Notice Jesus does not love the world in this passage. God the Father loves the world. Now let me ask you a question. How much does God the Father love the world? It says it in the passage. Love the world this much that he gave his son specifically for you. This is how much God the Father loves the world. And Jesus and God are one in the process of it. But if you look at the verse, it also explains how much God loves you as a person. How much does God love you as a person? For God so loved, that word is what? It's past tense. It's taking us back 2,000 years ago. It's not talking about right now. For God so loved the world. What he is saying, I love the world this much. Open up your eyes and look at Jesus. And look at what he did going to the cross. And when he spread his hands on the cross, he's making a statement. What's the statement that he's making? That I love the world this much. That I love the world this much. It's in the past. See, what we do as believers is that we ask the question Does God really love me? Does God really love me? I mean, I don't have a job right now, I don't want a job. And if God loved me, it'd give me a job. I mean, have you seen my health? I mean, I've been going to church every single week, and, and still my cancer has not been, has not been um, cured. I'm struggling in life. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I'm just wondering if God really loves me. I'm alone, and God, who loves me, would not want me alone. I really wonder if God loves me. So, what we do is we define God's love by what? Our circumstances. And then we evaluate God's love under those circumstances. And when we do, we can come up with a, a formula on whether God loves you or not. The author in John three sixteen is trying to communicate the opposite of that. He is saying, if you don't feel it, if your circumstances don't see it, if you, you, you don't understand it because your world is not going the way that you want to, open up your eyes. And look back 2,000 years ago. Because that's the only statement I want you to hold on to. I loved you this much. And then he spreads out his arms on the cross. This is how much I love you, even if you don't feel it. That's why he uses the word believe in this passage. Because if, if you look at the word believe, what is the word believe? Believe is to think it to be true. That's a definition. Believe is to be persuaded of. Well, if we are going to go from day to day to day, I wonder if this is true. I wonder if I'm persuaded today. I was persuaded yesterday, but I'm wondering if I could be persuaded today. I'm wondering if this is true today. God, show me that you love me today, and if you don't show me, then I'm going to start doubting it. God does not communicate that passage in that way. He said, open your eyes to that one thing Because if I've given you my son, what would I deny you? If I've given you everlasting everlasting life, doesn't it lift you above this earth that if your whole earth falls away, it's okay? This is the meat. This is the strength that makes somebody completely and entirely born again. All you need to do is believe in this specific love. And if you believe it, if you think it to be true, if you are persuaded by it, you have a new home. You'll have a new family, new purpose, a new father, a new approach, a new worldview. Everything about you will be new. Why? Because you believed it. <laughs> because you saw it. Because you, you've seen it. And you believe it because of the 2,000 years, not because of situations and circumstances that happen today or tomorrow. Number five, understanding God's love defines us, positions us, and then focuses us. Say lots of prayers on the trail, and some of the prayers are not even probably very good. Um, <laughs> one prayer that I said in particular probably isn't a very good one, but uh, um, I went into Kennedy Meadows, and, and uh, you know I didn't see anybody for you know, until I got into Kennedy Meadows. And I didn't see anybody after Kennedy Meadows. But I saw a lot of people in, in this town of Kennedy Meadows. And um, and after I left there, I asked the question, God, is there anybody that believes in you? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I go to Jefferson Baptist Church. I stand in front of a whole bunch of people. And, you know, they believe in you. And now I'm way down in California. I'm all by myself. And, and God, I, I had a lot of conversations. And and, uh, and I just make you my life. I make you my, my focus. And I make you complete entire truth. But then all these people around, they just, you know, just use your Lord's name in vain. Your name in vain. And, and does anybody believe in you? And that's before I met Sam and Tess. I think God wanted to kind of punch me in the nose. <laughs> First people I met after 200 miles was Sam and Tess. What do you do for a living? Are you a pastor? Oh, let's talk about God. And boy, did they ask the questions. And I'm like, God... You just wanted to answer my prayer, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I left Sam and Tess and I hiked to uh, the top of Whitney and, and then I, I came back down and Sam and Tess were down the trail, you know, quite a ways and then I started hiking again and I met a couple another couple of two ladies. Actually I'll show ladies, it's Cindy and Sue and talk about amazing sweet ladies. I was sitting there eating lunch and they said, How you doing? So oh, I'm just eating this this cold lunch here and and we just had a fast conversation, but um, after they hiked in front of me, um, I ended up uh, stopping with them as they were getting, gathering water, and I started having lunch um, with them. And, uh, and I ate you know, my sausage and grabbed water and had a, had a great conversation with them. And, and, uh, and then they headed out before I did, and, and they went up to the bottom of the pass where it gets really, really crazy. And then after they left and I got up and I started hiking, um, up to them. And, and uh, so they pulled over at the bottom of the pass, and they said, yeah, we're going to camp here. And, um, and I said, well, I'm going to go over the pass. You know, I just want to try to get some more miles in. And, and Cindy, who's on your left, uh, walked up to me and says, you know, that conversation we had at lunch, it seems like you just might be a Christian with some of the things that you said. And uh, I said, well, um, I'm actually a pastor. She says, you are says, "Oh, do I have prayer requests?" And she, and she she came up to me and she just gave me a download. "Will you just pray for our safety? Will you just pray for our strength? And uh will you just just pray that the world knows that this gospel, this is her words. <laughs> I mean, all they say is a pastor. And I'm like, okay. And I that this gospel is alive and true, and the word carries it, and the word holds it, and the clarity of the word sends it, and so many people don't believe it. Will you just pray all of that? And I said, sure, Cindy, I'd love to pray all that. So at the bottom of the past, Cindy and I, um, I prayed and after I was done praying for her, for Sue, for the gospel of the world, she goes, let me pray. And so she started praying, and she started praying for me. Give Mike strength. Give Mike encouragement as we do this trail. And uh, I said, you know, Cindy, you're absolutely amazing. I just, I just love you. And then I walked over to the top of the pass and said goodbye. Well, just to explain how things work, um, in the Sierra Nevadas, you have to hike out a lot. A lot of miles to even get to a town, but you have to resupply. So I was going to resupply in the town of Independence. So I took eight miles to hike out of Independence, and then a 13-mile hitchhike to get into town. So I hiked over a pass. I went all the way down, all the way down. After I was way up high, I went all the way down into a road that only comes up to the bottom of that trail, and then I started hitchhiking, and it took like three hours for for me to even get a ride, so then I got a ride. Then I went into town. I got into town late, and I rented a motel. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna relax. And and since I got into town late, <laughs> I'm sorry, I was lazy. I said, I think I'm gonna rent this motel again. <laughs> you thought I was hiking every day. I said, I went. I'm gonna do a zero day tomorrow, and uh, and I'm just gonna relax in the motel. So I relaxed in the motel the second day. Well, I went to the sandwich shop on the second day, and who was there? There was Sam and Tess. They said, take a seat. Let's talk. And then they started asking questions again. And I just just loved it. And uh, it, was, it was so cool. And um, I needed to catch a ride to the top. And hitchhiking was tough because nobody was picking you up. And the, I asked them, I go, do you guys have a shuttle to the top? Do you have any connections or any? They go, yeah, we do. We got this guy named Lone Pine Brian. And, and he's going to shuttle um, four of us to the top. Because when we came down, we met two ladies. I go, Cindy and Sue? She goes, how do you know Cindy and Sue? I said, yo, yeah, they're the sweetest ladies in the world. Did you know that they know Jesus? They know Jesus too. I said, oh, yeah, they know Jesus too. They love him. I says, oh, really? I didn't know that. He goes, well, we'll see if we have room for you. I tell them I'll I'll sit on the bumper if I need to on the ride up there because I need a ride. So so she called Cindy and Sue in the motel because they're best friends now. He called Cindy and Sue in the motel and said, hey, can we get Mike? Pastor Mike, is he in town? Yeah, he's in, he's, he's in town too. It's like um, up on our trail, and it goes, well, we don't know because there's only four seats. So what we'll do is we'll give Lone Pine Brian's um, uh, mic his phone number, and then he can call to see if he can shuttle him up to the top. I went, said goodbye to Sam and Tess, and went to my motel, and I called Lone Pine Brian and said, hey, can you give me a, a ride to the top? And um, he says, yeah, I can possibly give you right ride to the top. They want to go at 5 o'clock in the morning, so what we'll do is we'll drive them up there, and then I'll turn around, and then I'll pick you up, and then I'll drive you up there. And I said, cool, that sounds good. And uh, so they did that at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was waiting for Lone Pine Brian to come down after they dropped them off. And, and uh, Lone Pine Brian got out of his car and, and uh, shook my hand. And after he shook my hand, he says, boy, a handshake like that, what do you do for a living? <laughs> uh, I said... I'm a pastor, and he says I'm a Christian too, and uh, and, and we got in the car, and uh, he told me his whole story, and I confessed every sin that he ever had, but he, which I'm not the Pope, I just you know this is a pastor, but he told me his story, stories. He said we gotta pray. And I said, Yeah, we got to pray for Sue, and we got to pray for Cindy, and we got to pray for Sam, and we got to pray for Tess. And so we prayed the whole way going up the mountain after he told me his story. And then I said goodbye to Lone Pine Brian. And, and then I caught up with Cindy and Sue on the trail. And I said, You know Lone Pine Brian's a Christian too? They said, Yeah, we heard that as well. And I'm like, Wow, that's a- absolutely amazing. Brian, Sam and Tess did not know that. They said, Well, how do you pull it out of everybody? I said, I don't know how I pull it out of people. But uh, when I said that prayer, as anybody believers, it seemed like God just shoved these people my direction. But when He shoved these people my direction, there's something that they carried. And do you know what they carried? They carried a light of encouragement. <laughs> they carried a bright light that was shining out of them. They had a love for God, very similar to what we have here. They had a love for God, and they lit up as soon as they found out somebody else had a love for God. And then we sat there and we feasted on the love for God. I can't believe how much God loves us. We want God to love them. And as you look at this, I'm telling you stories, not all about mountains and not all about the hikes, but telling you stories of the lights that I saw inside of the mountains, inside of the hike that I took. And do you know what that light was? Is that Christ loves people and it has impact on people. And since it has an impact on people, it has an impact on me because it has an impact on people. And I am blessed and I am encouraged because they are ambassadors of that love. It's God's plan. It's a plan for the church. For the love of Christ controls us. In verse fourteen, under five, know all these things are from God, who reconciled the us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, counting their trespasses not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he explains this love with a doctrinal statement. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Open your eyes to what he did. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so you can have the righteousness of God. And when we understand that, yes, a light shines. Light shines from this congregation of people who walk in the doors. I understand Christ's love, and I will tell you, I am encouraged when people understand that. And I see it prayerfully you are encouraged if a light ever shines for me because all I have to offer you is this amazing love that has impacted myself. So if you want to increase your love because it is what carries the power, how do you increase it? Really fast. If you're looking at increasing this love for God, remember it's not something, a pill that you swallowed all of a sudden it happens. It is a process that you will spend for the rest of your life. You want to meditate on the fact of who you are. You want to study who you are. You want to open up the Bible and say, who am I, who am I, who am I? And do you know what the Bible's going to tell you? This is what it's going to tell you. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. It's going to tell you that you are separated from God. It's going to tell you that there is no one righteous, not even one. It's going to tell you what you deserve, because God is holy and you are not. It's going to tell you exactly who you are, and I will tell you that it's not the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm just going to tell you that, be honest with you. But it's also going to tell you another thing, and this is the other thing we want to meditate on. You want to know who God is. (laughs) You want to know who God is. Now, I'm going to tell you that this isn't very encouraging either. The reason why I'm going to tell you it's not very encouraging because you're going to find out that God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, God is holy, God will not look or be in the presence even of a sinner. We're going to see how majestic and how glorious and how he created and how beautiful he is. And the Old Testament unfolds a lot of the majesty of God as we look into his attributes. You're going to say, well, this is really encouraging. That you want me to understand the love of God, and you say, "Oh, I got to figure out who I am," and it sounds like I'm a piece of dirt that's on my way um, to judgment. Is what it looks like. Yeah, that's true. Then then you say, "Well, what about God?" Well, God is the one that is going to give us his judgment because he's holy, pure, sovereign. But then when you look at the third thing, because if you understand those two, when you look at the third thing, the love of God will smack you in the face. Know what God did. This is who you are. This is who he is. And now know what he did. This is what he did. He left heaven. He came to earth and he lived a life you could not live. Perfect, perfect life. And after he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross, the cross that we should have died on, the cross that we should be judged on, and he died instead in our place. And after he died, he rose again and says, anybody who believes that love, will be saved i see who i am nothing i see who god is everything and then when i see what god did it's an impact huge impact now it might not give you just an impact right now or it might give you an impact right now and then you leave and then and then it's like it's over but no this is the impact called the gospel that should never leave our mind That should be mulling over on our minds so consistently and that we know every single aspect of it because for God so loved the world this much that he gave Jesus Christ. And if you could just see that, everything will be different about you, including your eternity. That's what we call born again. That's what we call the ultimate statement of love that all of us are hungry for. And the more we understand it, the more we feed on it, the more we worship God because of it, that love will increase. And as that love increases, our fire for him will increase. Therefore, our service, our giving, our passion, our evangelism, everything increases on that piece, on that tip of the sword. God, we just pray, God, that you would just increase our love. We know this is... uh, we just don't take your gospel and say, oh good, now I'm saved I'm going to heaven and I can live the way that I want. But that we take the gospel and we mull it over in our mind. We meditate on it. We, we, we study it. We read about it. We search it. We explore it. And God, we know that when we get to the bottom of it, we're going to see nothing but a massive love that you have for your people. And God, we understand that this love is the thing that carries the impact not only on our soul, but on our being, our actions, our behavior, our mind, our thoughts, everything about us, God. We thank you, God, for granting this love. We know that you are the one that created the mountains. You're not rejoicing over them, God. You're rejoicing over the sons of men who believe that this love has taken place for them and have responded to it. Thank you, God, so much for giving it to us. And we do pray that if there's anybody in this room, God, that um, has not experienced it, has not accepted it, does not believe it, that their eyes would be open. We know, God, that it takes a miracle. It takes divine intervention from you, God, for you to open their eyes. We just pray that they would open their eyes and they would find this awesome truth. In Christ's name, amen.